Howdy, folks, and welcome to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb, coming at you from Eureka, California, joined, as always, by Michael O'Neill in Syracuse, New York. Howdy, Michael. Howdy, David. Okay, so uh, always a pleasure to make a Midwestern uh, native now living in New York say howdy. So, folks, uh, on this week's episode, it is News of the Week Open Line. So there are several topics we want to make sure that we talk about, but I'm going to encourage you early uh, to please drop any comments that you have into the comment section if you're watching us and listening to us on Facebook. Of course, if you are watching on Facebook, either live or after the fact, please share this on your own page or any page that you manage. If you're listening to us now, living in New York, say howdy. Share this podcast with people in your own social media circles. We are building our network. We're building the audience. And with a hat tip to Gil Scott Heron, a reminder, the revolution will not be televised, but it can be brought to you over non-corporately filtered news information and analysis like a green way forward. Uh, So, Michael, I got to say the very first thing that I want to make sure that we talk about is the horrific crisis that continues uh, at the border. Uh, The fact that we are witnessing uh, just a horror show uh, at our border uh, and uh, ice raids, some that were threatened, a few that actually happened over the weekend. I'm wondering what you're seeing. Well, uh, in New York State, there was, and I uh, know across the country on Friday, there was a series of events, uh, Lights for Liberty, of uh, folks standing in solidarity at federal buildings and, and other you know aspects of the federal government, especially those uh, elements of infrastructure that are related to ICE and the uh, immigration uh, catastrophe that our government is cultivating. So I know Greens were out at that. Uh, I applaud uh, folks who are standing up for a more just immigration policy in this country. And you know, we here at A Green Way Forward, David and I have already talked about how you know, we've, we've got to, of course, oppose Trump right, and fight Trump every inch of the way as he attempts to uh, dehumanize and, and further criminalize folks who have come here fleeing, you know, economic and and political repression. Uh, but we also have to push our communities to get a deeper understanding that this is a uh, this is a, a brutal extension of an already brutal policy that goes back many administrations. We've got to see the two party cartels role in this. And we've got to fight for a truly humane immigration policy that addresses the United States' role in creating political, economic, environmental catastrophes everywhere through our imperial policies that, uh, that stoke these mass migrations that have people risking their lives to enter a increasingly hostile country just for a chance for a better life for themselves and their family. Well said, Michael. I really appreciate how uh, first you lifted up uh, 
the Lights for Liberty vigils that were happening. The last I saw, it looked like there were over 750 of them. I'm proud to say that here in Humboldt County, there were two, uh, one in what is uh, is, uh, understood to be the conservative good old boy area. Uh, uh, The other, and each of those had uh, several hundred people. Uh, The other in uh, the city of Eureka at our courthouse. Greens were there in force. I'm also excited to say that many people, myself included, are beginning to do trainings in nonviolent civil disobedience, some strategic planning around when to engage in uh, peaceful, uh, militant, disruptive activities, sort of strategic planning, as well as some folks who are looking at hosting families. Because, Michael, one of the things that uh, we have learned is that if there is someone currently detained or arrested or in a concentration camp, uh, if there is a family willing to host them, you greatly increase their ability uh, to be released. So one of the things that we're doing is trying to look at creating a menu of options for folks to be able to radicalize them. And one of the ways that I think about this, Michael, is the ladder of engagement. Uh, you know, you take people where they are. And for those folks uh, who who think that this problem started with Donald Trump and something must be done, I try to meet them where they are, get them involved, show them some of the things that they can do, and then begin the process, frankly, of radicalizing them, beginning the process of helping them come to see the reality that the very founding of this country uh, in white settler colonialism, this country was founded in conquest and blood-soaked empire. Uh, That continues uh, even as... Uh, we try to help people to see reality. We've got to bring them along and take them where they are. I'm wondering, I, I know that that's a, a, an approach that you take. Uh, I'm wondering if you're finding success in it in this particular topic. Some, I mean, people are, they're, they're eager to know about, you know, the history behind what's going on, but the the real cruel aspect of a emergency like this is that people are activated by such a visceral response to what they are seeing in the news and what they're hearing is going on. And the, the focus naturally humanly is to stop the immediate suffering, to stop the bleeding. Uh, and especially when you're talking about family separations and children in cages, and so I think the real test will be how, one way or another, as this most immediate, visceral, and visible crisis de-escalates, can we keep rank-and-file progressives' attention on this issue, or will it just fall to the wayside and melt away, like, for instance, the anti-war movement when Barack Obama was elected? Oh, that's fair. And uh, like you, I have to admit, Michael, that it has been challenging uh, to get people uh, to look at the bigger picture. But I can tell you, I am having some conversations uh, or I'm I'm having success at conversations I've attempted to have uh, over time. I am seeing cracks in uh, in, in people's faith and confidence in the two-party system, in the Democratic Party, uh, I am actually seeing uh, a kind of cognitive dissonance. Now, I'm not sure if uh, I have had success in convincing people to join the Green Party uh, as a result, result, but I can tell you this, 
it is very clear to me that more and more progressives are realizing that the leadership of the Democratic Party is not their friend. The leadership of the Democratic Party is part of the problem. Now, taking people to the next step is a hard uh, nut, but I don't want to sort of... uh, take lightly the fact that more and more people seem to realize that the leadership of the Democratic Party and their neoliberal agenda is causing this problem. Right. And I appreciate that you don't want to be pessimistic about that, David, because as we all know, that's my job. So (laughs) thank you for, for keeping that space for me. Well, I am, and I'm going to actually open the the floor for you to ask, am I being overly optimistic? Are you seeing some of that cognitive dissonance as well? I Absolutely, yes. And I think this is a great segue to something else that we wanted to talk about tonight, which is the uh, the forever war that the Democratic National Committee leadership as uh, embodied in Nancy Pelosi and people at her strata in the Democratic uh, National Committee, and just her relentless sort of uh, dismissal and putting down of of newly elected Democrats like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, like Ilhan Omar, um, you know, two uh, women of color who've been elected who have faced just outright racist attacks from. Donald Trump and from, you know, other uh, tentacles of the right wing monster in our country. And we've seen these two trends converge over the weekend. Right. So uh, another round of of dismissive Pelosi language and behavior towards rank and file uh, Democrats who are trying to push a more progressive way for the party. Good for them. I disagree with their strategy, but it's a noble effort. And then Trump, you know, tweeting at AOC and Ellen Omar and others to go back to their own countries. Like we're, you're, you're talking about Congress people in the United States Congress. It's just insane. So are these two trends, right? The increasing attacks from the right uh, on Democrats who are attempting at least we think they're attempting to push the progressive envelope within the party. And then the, in general, lack of support when it's not outright disgust and dismissal from their own party's leadership. Will those two things contribute towards something of like an official actual cleavage? Well, that's right. And, you know, I think that this is the importance of understanding that You know, Michael and I are Green Party members. We are uh, very active, visible uh, proponents of not just an alternative political party, but very specifically the Green Party as the result of that. But one thing I do not do is allow uh, myself to turn progressive Democrats into my enemy. I'm trying to win them over. As you said, Michael, uh, I think that their tactic is incorrect. I even think their strategic orientation of working within the green uh, within the Democratic Party is incorrect. But I still don't make them my enemy. Uh, I refuse to engage in the kind of sectarian rigidity uh, that I see too often uh, on the left, uh, and that's the reason that I try to stay relentlessly positive on the Green Party's message of peace, justice, democracy, and ecology. Remember, the four pillars of the International Green Party movement make up a coherent, interconnected, inherently um, 
Uh, it's a vision, right? It's an inherent co- uh, connected and consistent vision uh, that any policy, uh, any issue, you can derive what a uh, basically Green Party policy is likely to be. Sure, there'll be uh, you know policies around the margin, but at the end of the day, you can always be sure that the Green Party is going to be on the side of that broad progressive agenda. I also think it's important that we really understand that the kind of dog whistle politics that Nancy Pelosi is engaged in is actually opening up the space for not only Donald Trump to continue, but for the right wing to be emboldened. Michael, do you think I'm going too far here? Well, it's I'm always hesitant to gaze into the psyche of Donald Trump and his like, you know, oatmeal sinister brain. But part of my reluctance is that it's hard. It's hard for me to imagine Donald Trump caring what anybody thinks in terms of like what he's talking about. So whether or not Pelosi's lack of support for AOC and Illinois and and, uh, elected officials in that um, in that milieu, whether that has an effect on Donald Trump to me is is an open question because he just seems to follow his own id. But I think there's a strong case to be made, though, that if the DNC as a party was really throwing their institutional might behind empowering and emboldening and protecting their most progressive wing, then at least some aspects of the right wing hate media machine would, they certainly wouldn't perceive a free fire zone for them to act upon. They would at least have to anticipate pushback to the the kinds of claims and, and the kinds of speech that they're engaging in. That's right. And, you know, look, uh, let, let's, your point is well made. So I don't want to try to uh, read the tea leaves of the mush that is Donald Trump's brain. I will say this, that the fact that the nationally popular progressive females, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, and Rashida Tlaib, uh, the the so-called uh, squad uh, are the only ones that have consistently been opposing the Democratic Party leadership when they helped to pass a four point six billion dollar uh, border funding package that did not even include any restrictions that House progressives uh, had demanded. Like that's actual policy, right? Uh, and the fact that uh, Nancy Pelosi is throwing them under the bus, the fact that uh, Donald Trump is, is is sending absolute explicit racist tweets uh, at them really underscores for me that we actually have three different polls at place and a fourth poll uh, uh, basically receding from memory. And those polls are this, the right-wing racist uh, uh policy of emerging fascism that Donald Trump represents, the neoliberal agenda uh, that the Democratic Party leadership represents, an effort to make the Democratic Party progressive that the squad and progressive Democrats represent, and that fourth poll that's fading fast, principle the conservatives. The principle, they used to be called Eisenhower Republicans. Uh, They basically don't exist on the national stage anymore. Wondering, Michael, do you sort of see it the same way I do, that this is the the big picture of what's sort of shaping up? 
I think we've seen a, a rightward drift over what thirty years now, more. So you know, today's centrist Democrats look like old Rockefeller Republicans, and then the Republicans look like the old Know Nothing Party or the the John Birch Society. And and we've seen a rightward shift because we don't have a major party of the left in this country that is actually owned and run by workers, or as at least has been attempted to be owned and run by workers. The, In my perspective, my humble perspective, the uh, most successful attempt at that in this country has been the Green Party. And of course, we have had to fight tooth and nail, inch by inch, for every office that we've won and every ballot line that we've earned and every bit of, of, um, of recognition and visibility that we have been able to achieve. It's, it's the Republicans pulling to the right like hell, and then the Democrats, and I don't know which is worse, whether they mistakenly believe that being the, quote, responsible adults and reaching across the aisle is the best way to go, or whether or not... They really are. They they really do just believe into the in the free market, and they're only sort of tepidly in favor of more social progress in in terms of of social diversity and representation. And so they're just always willing to throw uh, leftists and progressives under the bus to reach some kind of milk toast non deal deal with Republicans whether it's on healthcare or war or immigration or whatever. And so we've seen this party drift to the right for decades now. And it's one of the reasons why the Green Party and a real third party for leftists that is run and owned by working people is an imperative. Folks, you're watching and or listening to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb. This week's topic is news of the week open line so if you want to get in on the conversation and you're watching or listening to us live on facebook just drop something in the comments like charles did who said you guys do good work i like your positive constructive approach thank you and thank you charles uh for being a viewer and a participant uh spedward writes in to say most people my age i've talked to about parties say basically how i feel that is we don't like labeling things we like being independents I'm just lucky to be in an open primary state, but I love the Green Party much more than I do the Democrats. Uh, you know, Spedward, I appreciate that approach. What I would say is this. I do believe that it's important that we organize ourselves on the left according to the basic framework, philosophical, ideological framework that the Green Party represents. Uh, however, uh, if you are an independent or a progressive or a progressive-leaning person, I will absolutely work with you uh, on issues, uh, doing protests, demonstrations, uh, direct actions, and uh, on elections, uh, I'll try to find ways to work with you and anyone else as well. You know, Michael, one of the things that you talked about was this ever rightward drift. And I feel like we've got to make sure uh, to, to hit two things that are symptomatic of that rightward drift. Number one, uh, the front Democratic Party frontrunner uh, Joe Biden just put forward a health care proposal that the People's Policy Project says will kill 125,000 Americans through lack of insurance, his sort of commitment uh, to the for-profit health care system. And secondly, Tom Steyer, the billionaire hedge fund Democratic Party bundler 
and his entry into the Democratic Party primary. So I give you your choice, Michael. Which one of those do you want to jump in and, and rant about first? Well, let's talk about the so-called Biden care system. And I've just uh, plugged that into the live chat for those who are watching on Facebook Live. And it just kills me that Joe Biden is the front runner in the polls in the Democratic presidential primary. Not that I'm going to vote in the Democratic presidential primary. I've got my own party's primary to vote in. Thank you very much. And I mean, I try to spend as little time as necessary thinking about the Democratic Party presidential primary. But in this case, it is a useful indicator to show that the candidate with the most support in the polls and arguably the bulk of institutional support is is pushing this failed for-profit healthcare model that many elected Democrats holding substantial offices across the country have claimed to disavow. Now, of course, David, you and I both know, residing in California and New York, respectively, that when those Democrats have had a chance to pass single-payer systems that they have claimed to support, they've gotten cold feet. And, you know, maybe if we had a better healthcare system, they could get a diagnosis and medication for their cold feet problem and get <laughs> some kind of podiatrist, uh, you know, uh, specialist recommendation to handle their cold feet, but that we have someone who's still, even at this late date in the game of the fight for single payer, still advocating for a system that preserves the profit motive when we know that is antithetical to quality healthcare for everyone says a lot. And I, I what I want to offer here is we, of course, you and I, we, work very hard and are try to be very disciplined about identifying the rank and file Democrats out there who are fighting for a better world, who are leftists, who are socialists, who are progressives. Um, but also, I think it's worth saying that there's also a lot of registered Democrats out there, active Democrats in their local clubs, in their county organizations, in their state organizations, who are pretty damn conservative. And that, and that these Nancy Pelosi's and Chuck Schumer's and Joe Biden's, they do not come out of a void. There is an audience for them in the Democratic Party, and for the most part, they're the ones who are still have their hands on the levers of the party machinery and the apparatus. There's no doubt about it, and I'm going to actually uh, circle back uh, because we know what happened in New York and in California on health care, and I really want to remind folks, if you already know the story, and if you don't, strap yourself in for this, because there was a time in California when a Republican Arnold Schwarzenegger was the governor, right? And at that time, Democrats controlled both the state assembly and the state Senate uh, with super majorities. They still do, but there was a Republican governor. So the, in the state of California, the state assembly and the state Senate passed a single player plan, right? Not just a proposal, not just a resolution, but an actual bit of legislation authored by good progressives and national nurse or California uh, nurses Association, the State Apparatus of National Nurses United. It got to uh, Schwarzenegger, who vetoed it. Next election cycle, the uh, Jerry Brown, Democrat, is in the governor's mansion. We are unable to get the exact same bill that had sailed through both the Assembly and the House. We could not get it passed. Why? Because Democratic Governor Jerry Brown said, do not let that get to my desk. Because he knew that the if, if it got so uh, public and known that there was an opportunity for it, 
uh, that the people would demand it. So it died in committee. The Democratic Party killed single payer. Now let's go to Joe Biden and be very clear that Joe Biden's health plan is basically a continuation of the for-profit model. Uh, It basically is uh, going to cause enormous amounts of insurance churn. It's going to be instability. It's going to literally uh, gut the ability for a true single-payer system to go forward. And that's the Democratic Party frontrunner. And folks, if you are listening to a Green Way Forward, I'm going to encourage you to make it crystal clear on your own social media pages, in your own conversations, letters to the editor, uh, pool halls, bowling alleys, uh, anywhere that you are in public, you've got to be unequivocal that if you, that whoever is running for president does not call for a single payer universal health care plan, you won't vote for them. That's got to be a deal breaker as far as I'm concerned. Michael, am I going too far? Not at all. I just want to underline the figure here. You know, Joe Biden's plan essentially would sentence 125,000 people to death. Like, that's what we're saying we're okay with. And that's what we say we're okay with every time we agree to this for-profit health insurance model. And when we do not act to fight for single payer, whether at the state level or at the national level, and, you know, hell, let's fight for both, right? And if a state paves the way for a federal program, then that's great. Um, But when we take something as necessary as healthcare and we leave it to the for-profit industry and and you know the research comes along and says basically you know we're we're consigning 125,000 people to early deaths just so some CEOs and some board members and some stockholders can get their filthy lucre get their blood money then uh we have to ask ourselves whether we're okay with that because when we let it go forward Essentially, we're saying we're okay with that, and I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with it, and I'm glad that uh, uh, you actually took us back to the actual numbers, and I encourage people to take a look at the People's Policy Project. Uh, They actually have uh, a really good, concise article on just how uh, exactly they came up with the number of 125,000 unnecessary deaths because of uninsurance that will happen. Uh, because Biden's plan, as horrible as it is, does not even provide universal insurance coverage, much less does it uh, provide a single-payer health care system. I also want to thank uh, Margaret Kimberly over at Black Agenda Report, uh, who writes in uh, to say that I look good in a beard, uh, and that, uh, Margaret, you also promised in the comment that you'll think of a substantive comment. Uh, so uh, one thing that I do want to say, Michael, we uh, we used to have uh, Bruce Dixon on from time to time. It occurs to me that Margaret Kimberly, uh, I'm just going to make the judgment call. I think we ought to put Margaret in rotation. She writes such fantastic stuff for the Black Agenda Report. Plus, she likes my beard. So I think we need to put her in the loop for uh, uh, for an upcoming show. Absolutely. As often as Margaret wants to come on, I'm eager to have her. And Glenn also writes in to ask, What is your view and analysis of the tendency by some self-proclaimed Marxists to claim some sort of imagined ideological high ground and then denigrate Greens? I suggest that many Marxists have not adequately updated their worldview to that of the 21st century, although I do actually like Richard Wolff. Michael, you want to take a cut at that? Because I've got some thoughts there as well. Yeah, I imagine 
self-identified art Marxists and many uh, legacy greens as kind of coming at each other from opposite sides of the same curve in that over the last few decades, uh, many uh, Marxists and and self-identified socialists of, of different tendencies have come to recognize the environmental crimes and excesses of uh, state social state socialist countries uh, like the USSR and within the Soviet bloc uh, and also within China. Now I know there's a debate of you know whether those countries were actually socialist, yada yada yada. Those were let's call them Marxist influenced regimes, right? Uh, so they have come to understand and own up to the environmental and human rights excesses committed by the people leading those regimes. Likewise, there are Greens who came uh, within the U.S. to the party through the Ralph Nader campaigns and through the environmental movement, and maybe their their initial activation into politics was through uh, maybe more of a, a liberal bent or through a, a purely environmental uh, perspective that maybe focused more on like the idealism of small business owners and a kind of Jeffersonian liberal democracy, right? And many of those Greens have come around to understanding the importance of of centering working people and a, a Marxist and, and class analysis in in support of our other perspectives around the environment and social justice. And I think what both have come to realize over time is that uh, Marx and many of his con- contemporaries and many of the people following from Marx did in did include together. The uh, the needs of working people and the needs of the environment, and that those those threads are in there, but they have been maybe neglected by different camps at different times in the arc of those different movements. So I see a coming together of these tendencies. I think it's positive. I think we need to acknowledge where uh, other um, tendencies have had experience and knowledge, and that and where we have more to learn, and then. For, for each side to kind of regard the other in that respect. Well said, Michael, you know, and uh, I, I appreciate the humility that you described. And I'm going to actually own the fact that I did actually uh, come out of the democratic party. I was a believer in uh, bourgeois democratic, uh, uh, little D democratic uh, uh, centralism. I was a believer in the idea of, uh, you know, the, 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 the creation myth of this country. You know, I, I worked very hard on Jesse Jackson's campaigns in 84 and 88. I uh, worked on Jerry Brown's campaign in 92. It was Bill Clinton and the neoliberal uh, lurch to the right that turned me into a green. And uh, uh, it has been a process since 1996 that I have uh, come to appreciate uh, a true class analysis. Uh, irony being that I grew up in grinding poverty and uh, 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 but and I had this sort of visceral understanding that you know uh, rich billionaires suck and that they couldn't be trusted. Uh, but I bought the creation myth, and it took uh, real work on my part to radicalize and come to understand the interconnection of imperialism and white supremacy and patriarchy and capitalism itself. Uh, so I say that to both own my own trajectory and remind myself and everybody else that we're all on a process of understanding uh, and that 
uh, I think that what I see from uh, some self-proclaimed Marxists uh, is uh, an inability to understand how human psyche works and how you actually radicalize people. I mean, you have to take people where they are and engage them. I don't know about you, Michael, but I have never uh, had somebody successfully convince me of anything if they're yelling at me and telling me how stupid I am. Uh, I get immediately defensive no matter how hard I get if somebody is yelling at me and telling me I'm a fool. So I I just don't think that's a very successful organizing strategy. I completely so agree. Of, um, they un- are. Unfortunately, it's, uh, it's unfortunately a very good social media strategy. And <laughs> that is something I worry about with the left in our discourse is that exactly where you're talking about the the tactics for actually winning something around to a point of view are exactly the opposite of the kinds of social media maneuverings that get you lots of likes and retweets and clicks for owning someone or taking someone down or totally destroying them. When in actuality, you haven't actually destroyed that person. Maybe that person's skulking away to virtually lick their digital wounds for a while, but you haven't changed their mind. And if anything, they're probably skulking off to some corner of the internet that's even more misogynistic and white supremacist leaning and and Ayn Rand capital worshiping than they were before. And so we have to think about like what is actually going to organize more people into this party uh, who have the potential to to participate in a left and in a progressive movement and and not just uh you know going for the likes and the retweets on the tweet sores. Well that's right. And that's why here on a green way forward we actually try to have reason discourse. Uh we some we interview experts, we go into long form interview and we actually encourage folks uh, to challenge us on our own uh, thought process. And I will often say, Michael, I will never, ever compromise my principles and values, but I'm always open to being challenged uh, on both strategies and tactics. So um, I'm wondering, Michael, do we have time uh, to just say a word or two about Tom Steyer? We sure do, yeah. Yeah, I think this is a pretty this open and shut case. I just got to say, when a billionaire presents themselves as America's liberal hope, I feel like we've gone beyond parody, beyond satire. How can the onion even keep up? Of course, I'm talking about Tom Steyer, who is a billionaire hedge fund manager. I mean, if you wanted a progressive uh, villain, uh, this is the guy that you'd pick. And literally, he's pledged, get this, to spend $100 million of his own money. Uh, And why is it? Uh, like who's clamoring for him? Answer, nobody. The absolute chutzpah that this guy has to come in uh, claiming some sort of mantle of progressive causes where he is a hedge fund manager and a billionaire. Michael, I mean, how do we even begin here other than to fraud at the mouth and do exactly what you said that we shouldn't do? Well, David, you got to remember Michael's first rule, which is things are almost always worse they're almost always worse than they seem at first blush. And the reason I say that <laughs> is that on the one hand, like, yes, it's bad enough if Tom Steyer was this guy who just came out of nowhere and threw himself into the Democratic Party presidential race. And to you and me and to, you know, rank and file progressives and leftists, we maybe haven't heard of Tom Steyer before. 
But if you're a Democratic Party insider, or if you are an executive director or a development director at one of the many Democrat-aligned 501c3s and 501c4s and progressive groups and things like that, then you know who Tom Stair and his people are. And this guy has been funding uh, at progressive groups and candidates for a long time. And what the development is from my perspective is that he's, he's throwing himself into the open. He's throwing himself into the light. And this is a, a teachable moment for rank and file Democrats, that this is the kind of guy who has been the superstructure of this party that you have been pinning your hopes on for a long time. He was always there in a way. It kind of reminds me of Donald Trump and that Donald Trump and the core of his supporter base were there long before the 2016 election. It's a, a symptom that's erupting because our society's immune system for these kinds of charlatans and jerks is so degraded and so weak. So let's not confuse the symptom for the cause, and let's understand that while the revelation of the symptom is horrifying, we got to understand that the underlying disease was there long before, and our response to that uh, should take that into account. And let's really be clear, Tom Thayer actually comes out of the neoliberal agenda. He is Wall Street uh, writ large, including uh, his fund, the hedge fund that he uh, that made his billions, pumped hundreds of millions of dollars into coal mines and coal-fired power plants in Indonesia and in China and in other uh, all across the globe. And wait, there's more. He also invested heavily in Cor Corrections Corporation of America, which is the nation's largest for-profit private prison firm. In fact, uh, the investment that the investments that that company was making was so bad that his alma mater, Yale, actually protested and uh, uh, threatened a walkout. Um, uh, because he was on their board of regents. So this whole notion of, of Tom Steyer is actually a, a, a emblematic of the problem of the neoliberal agenda. And frankly, again, I'm not a member of the Democratic Party. But if you're a member of the Democratic Party, then I say you've got some house cleaning to do, or better yet, leave. At the end of the day, I, I know how hard it is, folks, to create a third party one of the hardest things you can do in politics. But you know what's even more hard, what's even more unlikely to succeed, and that is to wrest control of the Democratic Party by progressives away from people like the Clintons or Steyers or uh, Nancy Pelosi, for that matter. And let's be clear about this. The neoliberals who run that party would rather lose to Republicans than allow progressives to ever have access to that party. That's my analysis. Absolutely. And there are people like Tom Steyer at every level of what we call the progressive movement, both inside and, and on the periphery of the Democratic Party, who are the people with the pocketbooks, who make sure that the party and, and allied organizations never stray so far into radical politics that it... Uh, that it threatens their self-interest and it threatens their ability to maintain their status as, as an elite in this country. And it, when you wonder like, oh, why is it that the most well-funded groups tend to have the sort of not great 
uh, political line on a particular policy or issue. It's because they're being propped up like by people like this guy. And they're all over yeah. the place. And that's why we need both organizations and parties that are funded by workers, by the people that they're represented, and not relying on the 501c3 industrial foundation complex and people like the, like Tom Steyer. The revolution will not be funded. That That's one of the things that, that we have to come to understand. Ain't nobody going to fund our liberation but ourselves. That's why I am a proponent of a dues-paced political organizing structure. I know, Michael, uh, you're in favor of it, and I know New York already does it. And I'm happy to say that it looks like California is right on the verge of joining you. So uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, Michael, do you have any closing thoughts or comments you'd like to make? Uh, just that, I thank everyone for uh, spreading the word about A Green Way Forward. Please do share the video on demand of this live stream and our podcast that can be found at agreenwayforward.org. And you can always email us your ideas for discussion topics and for guests and for uh, articles uh, to review at agreenwayforward at gmail.com. Again, that's agreenwayforward at gmail.com. And we also have a contact form on the website. Thank you so much, Michael. And I want to uh, thank you, Michael O'Neill, for uh, the work that you do uh, as both co-host and producer of this program, keeping it and really locking it down. Uh, But most importantly, I want to thank you, the viewer listener. This audience is growing. We're getting larger, stronger and better organized every day. Uh, And it is because of you and people like you. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you have done. But more importantly, thank you for what you're going to do in the future to move us towards a peaceful, just, democratic, and ecologically sustainable society. Peace. A Green Way Forward is broadcast live on Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time from Dr. Jill Stein's Facebook page. Subscribe to our podcast and e-newsletter at agreenwayforward.org to make sure that you never miss an episode. You can also find us and rate us on iTunes, with more podcast platforms being added each week. Our theme music is Retro Future Dirty by Kevin McLeod, whose fine music can be found at incomptech.com and is available for use under a Creative Commons attribution license. This is Michael O'Neill for David Cobb reminding you to please spread the word about A Green Way Forward and to send us your thoughtful questions and comments to agreenwayforward at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.